Good evening, everybody. I'm so happy to be here with you today and to talk about the fact that we are now launching season three of Plain Rainbows. And we thought we would do this live stream with a wonderful person named Evan from the Vashti Initiative. So I am joined by my co-host, James Swartz and Evan. Would you like to say hi, James? Mm. James is frozen. <laughs> and Evan, welcome to our podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself? Um, yes. Um, uh, I'm Evan Jones. I am the executive director of the Vashti Initiative, an organization that helps those who are experiencing or fleeing uh, spiritual or religious abuse who come from adverse religious environments, all the different terminologies that are used. And I myself am a person who came from an abusive religious environment and a high control group. So I'm just very grateful to be here tonight. And thank you for inviting me on. Of course. Um, Deb says, hello, I'm elated to see this live. Apparently, we have needed to talk about conversions therapy for a while. Hi, Deb. Thank you. Um, so with that being said, welcome again. And I'd like to jump right in and talk about, like, do you feel comfortable sharing some of your experiences with conversion therapy? Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, so if so, first, uh, conversion therapy or what we know of, of it, uh, what we call it, uh, a lot of people call it reparative therapy now, has had a long history and it's very different. So 100 years ago, conversion therapy was locking someone in an asylum. It could involve a lobotomy. Later, it would involve electroshock. And then um, there was this really horrible experiment. It was called the uh, patient B19 experiment. If you like horror, you can go read that. Um, but it, 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 um, it happened in the late 1970s. And it, um, after that experiment went horribly wrong, um, people started to change these real aggressive ways of doing conversion therapy. And that's when a man by the name of Joseph Nichols developed what was called reparative therapy. So that's talk therapy. And that's where we get the camps. That's where we get all these literature and booklets now. And so conversion therapy has changed. And the terminology around conversion therapy has changed a lot. And that is in an effort to evade the authorities and to present this false um, uh, idea of safety within conversion therapy and within reparative therapy groups. So I went to a rehab. I was diagnosed. I was told that I was um, had a sexual addiction because they conflate gender identity and orientation um, together. And so they decided that those two things were what gave me a sexual addiction. And so I went to a rehab. I lived on site for six months. Yes. Can I, can I just ask you to explain what you mean? by gender identity being conflated with um, sexual orientation, please? Yeah, yeah, because I think it's a, a question that a lot of people still have. So we believe that who we're attracted to is based on our gender. 
And for a long time in LGBTQ history, there was a term called inverts, which was exactly this idea. Inverts meant that you are attracted to the opposite gender because you are actually that gender. That's what people thought it meant to be LGBTQ or to be gay. Now we know that those things are separate. The reason that people's gender identity, so someone who identifies as transgender or maybe non-binary, someone's gender identity is linked with someone's attraction, someone who's gay, lesbian, bisexual, is because of our shared oppression. So our shared oppression over these things has brought gender identity, gender expression, the clothes we wear, and um, and link that with who we're attracted to. And so that's how the LGBTQ community came together. And what they did in my group is they said, well, the reason that I am attracted to girls is because I'm actually a guy, which they got it right. But they thought that they were going to cure me and correct me. And so that's where my, my conversion therapy started. Ooh. Yeah, I dumped a lot right away, and I apologize. <laughs> oh no, that's that's what people come on here for. But that's a that's a lot. So, like, what if I understood you correctly? Like, you experienced like the camps, and you were sent away because you had a quote sexual addiction because you were because well, at the time I I had said all at the time I was so I was living as a woman because in my group there was not an opportunity for me to express my gender identity. So I gotcha. gender man, I identify as a man, but I was assigned female at birth. And so I was living as a woman and I expressed that I had feelings for another girl. And um, that was not the first time that it happened to me. The first time it happened, I got a whooping because that's what we, that's what we called it. Um, I apologize. I meant to, I should have done a trigger warning ahead of time for that. I, I think our listeners are aware that we may discuss topics that may be disturbing, but I would encourage people if you find it disturbing, um, you know, put it down, take a breather, come back when you can. Uh, furthermore, it is important to actually talk about what was done and what you experienced because we have to understand more the relationship between who we are, how we present ourselves to the world, and how we live our, our lives in a way that feels meaningful to us. So where was there a space for you to live your life in a way that felt meaningful to you when you, you were not in congruence with the gender assigned to you at birth? Where right. was that space? And, well, there wasn't, yeah. And you were labeled as as it being a sexual addiction. But then when you talk about sexual addiction in religious communities, what else did they label as sexual addictions? Well, um, pedophilia. That's a sexual addiction. Pornography. Is that what you were... What about self-abuse? Have you ever heard oh, that? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I remember that sexual addiction. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had no, to go all the way. No, no, We got to no, talk no. about it all. This is, this is, this is what we come yeah. here for. Have these conversations. Yeah. So like, um, anyways, so you were sent off to a camp. So How I did was that a rehab. It was a rehab. Rehab. Facility. Yeah. 
Oh. Yeah. So now we have rehab facilities under the guise of treating your sexual addiction that is right. simply something that happens. And what ha and I'm in this and I'm and, and what people don't realize about these facilities is it's really a way for them to put they're misbehaving adults because these are all adults because they have the teen camps in my group. In my group, we had teen homes and teen camps for the for the youth. But for the adults who now are old enough to say, I don't want to do this anymore, you have these rehabs. So I'm in this rehab with other people who have sexual addictions. I'm in a rehab with people who have real addictions and real substance use disorders and really need licensed professionals and they don't have any licensed professionals. I'm in here with a girl who wanted to marry a boy and the, the and preacher said no. That's what we called him. The pastor said no. And um so he put her in the rehab because she wouldn't she had a defiance problem. So it was this we had people in there for mental health. It was just this kind of catch-all because that's what a lot of these things end up being. It's just a place for them to catch their defiant members and try to recontrol them. That sounds pretty terrible. So how did those experiences in the rehab center, I mean, how did that affect you? Did they um, affect you? It did affect me. I think I, I was very privileged and I thought I was above it all. My, my parents were high up in our group. And so they put me in there and most of the people there didn't know. They thought I was there as a worker. It was a weird arrangement. I still had to do the curriculum. I had to go to my counseling sessions and I had to sit across from this guy and talk to him about all my fantasies I've ever had about women. Um, but um, so hold up, hold yeah. up. So you were basically providing verbal porn for a so-called yes. counselor at a rehab facility that's supposedly... Yes, for, for except, a male counselor who just sat there and was like... Mm -hmm, except it was an unlicensed counselor. Unlicensed, untrained. I There was never even like a training, not even like a one-on-one -on, -one -on, -one on substance use, uh, substance abuse or substance use disorder, mental health. They didn't believe addiction in mental health. Treatment. Addiction treatment. Did they have any education on addiction treatment since no, they said it was an addiction. addiction? It was just booklets. It was booklets that we had to fill out every day for four hours. I had to sit there with these booklets of Bible verses and I had to write these Bible verses and and you know, and so you had Bible study. I had you went Bible to Bible study. That's what you went to. You went to Bible study. And if I did that enough and I prayed enough, and then after for the rest of the day, I worked for the church for free. So they got free labor out of all the people who were in rehab. And then if I did that, it was going to cure me. So I did that for six months. And how'd um, that work out for you? Well, two weeks after I got out of rehab, I got married to a man because I was cured. And um, <laughs> four months later, it ended because I realized about, you know, a day into the marriage that I actually was not cured and that everyone's saying, once you get married, you'll realize what you're missing out on. I realized exactly not what I was missing out on. Not missing out on anything. <laughs> it was nothing. So... 
Um, I mean, there was a lot to find. But I, what I am grateful for is he was kind of already halfway out our group and he really gave me that step out. So I got shoved all the way out once I came out. I didn't have a choice, but I, you know, I wonder where I would have landed. I th feel like I would have landed back in conversion therapy and like an actual camp in Montana or something. And that would have been my my next thing had he well, not kind of pulled me out a little. I mean, if you just worked harder and prayed harder, I mean, if I yeah, just, no, just, just, I mean, you know, my friend told me today, she said, I tried to pray the gay in me because I don't want to date men. But she said it just doesn't work for her. So I'm wondering if you had a similar experience. To pray the gay in me or out of me? Either or. Does it work? <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, but I do remember I do remember praying a lot. And it didn't work. It I did mean, not work. I mean, people have been praying for me for over 30 years. And, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. beginning to think if their God exists, their God wants me to be gay. That's yeah. my story. I'm really, that's the conclusion. It's almost been 40 years. So I'm sure, you know, they've said a lot of prayers. I'm sure. <laughs> now, were there any long-term effects? Like, yeah, I mean, obviously when you go into a place, so every, every week I have to talk to this guy about my sins and my, my shortcomings. Every day I have to spend hours pouring over what it is and like trying to find what's wrong with me. And so when you're thinking about that and looking at that, that's going to be damaging to any person. So this, uh, that that's, you know, people think that because we're not hooking folks up and electroshocking them anymore, that conversion therapy isn't that bad, but you're taking, I was an adult. In many cases, you're taking the young youth and you are brainwashing to them into hating themselves. I've heard stories of kids who they know they're gay and the first time they go to kiss someone of the same gender, they, you know, they get sick because that's what conditioning does to you. You don't have to be, you know, hooked up to electroshocks to do that or to have a lobotomy to have long lasting effects. So it was a long time. I remember, I remember it was about two years after I came out. And this was after conversion therapy. I'm out. I'm proud. I've got my rainbow flags all over my Facebook. And I'm so angry at everyone and everything. And I don't know why. And I remember the stoplight I was sitting at. And I was like, and I said to myself, you tell everyone it's okay to be gay. But the truth is you don't even like yourself. And I remember crying because I did. I was out and proud, but I still hated myself. Because that's what had been conditioned into me. Because you were taught that you aren't a human being that's worthy of any human rights. Because yeah. you happen to be deviating from the norm in the society and culture that you were in. You were not conforming to their expectations. So now you were defiant. And you must be brought under control. But in the same token, even when you exit that culture, when you've had that level of psychological conditioning, that can stay with you for a long time. Mm -hmm. One of our listeners says, what an outrage. Are these places still in operation? Um, I know that they were in operation at least as of 2019. I don't know if COVID took some more of them out. So the, the group that I was part of is Reformers Unanimous. 
and they are a fundamentalist based rehab group and they treat people for sexual addiction along with their other addiction. Again, there is at least, I don't know if it's changed now, but at least uh, when I was there in 2011, there was no kind of license care at all and not even basic training. That just is quite awful to think about. Like, really, like we, why would this be allowed? And so, so I am aware, Mary, that there are some Amish and you know Mennonite that subscribe to the their own like conversion therapy, and we've discussed this in other podcasts. But um, uh, yeah, the places do exist, and from my understanding, uh, they're sent there, and there's Bible study, there's prayer, there's more Bible study, and a lot of manual labor that benefits the people <laughs> um uh yeah so um i mean obviously these places should not be in operation the amish ones or or the ones that you went to evan i mean con conversion therapy is denied um you know um is is um being outlawed by a lot of countries around the world and it's crazy that there are so many here in the United States that are functioning. I mean, mm -hmm. they just really, it's, they're, they're all human rights violations. Right. They are. And, and, and it's true. And there are States like the state I live in Rhode Island, we outlawed conversion therapy in 2018, but that's what people don't realize. And, and it especially breaks my heart for children we're having kids as young as 10 years old being sent to these places. And it's horrific, the things that are happening to them in these places. That's pretty awful. So did you, did, did these experience have an effect on your you spiritually? Like I'm, I'm changing directions going back to like yeah. this conversation that we had. Um, did these experiences like affect your spirituality or your beliefs or how, how did that work? I mean, it really rocked me. I, I, I was a person who really believed what I was taught. I was all in. I was 100%. Um, I'm grateful that I'm queer because I always say if I wasn't, I would still be in it because that's like, again, that's what pulled me out. So when I, I, I believed that I had a relationship with a God, I believed that I was doing all the right things. And whenever I was punished, despite giving everything, I couldn't reconcile that. So I spent the next, once I was finally free and out, I spent about a year going around to different churches, trying to find a place where I could belong. And as I was doing that, I started reading everything I could on religion. And that's, that's me. I'm a reader. I learned through reading. I learned through history. And I just thought, I'm going to find a religion or a faith that works for me. And that's going to help me. And, and I've, you know, I, there were some places that were really bad. There are a lot of places that were mediocre. There were some good places, but ultimately I lost my faith. I don't think I lost it because I'm queer. I think I lost it because of the information that I found along the way, but it definitely set me on that path. 
So would you consider that to be like spiritual abuse? Like what you experience? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, spiritual trauma is what affects our, our, our personal um, outlook on our future, our purpose and our connection to a higher power or higher being. And I think that in America, especially we are very spiritual based culture. I mean, people can argue that there's, there's a lot of problems, but when I say spiritual culture, I mean, it is embedded into everything we so-called do in America. It's on our, 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 I would say religious based culture. Sorry. Um, it's on our money, right. In God, we trust everything we do in America is linked to religion. And because of that, I believe that as Americans, we have a deeper connection to that spiritual part of us as as like many other groups and cultures do as well. And so whenever that piece of us is preyed on by some individual, I think it can have very detrimental effects. I've seen individuals who come from similar experiences such as mine, such as the conversion therapy who have been um, diagnosed with PTSD. Many individuals have um, will do complex PTSD as well as a host of other um, physical and mental elements that have happened from abuses like this. So yes, I would definitely say that any kind of conversion therapy or corrective therapy is a form of spiritual trauma. And I think that based on the culture, it can be even more detrimental. I hope I made sense. I went on a rabbit trail and I tried to bring it back in. It totally makes sense. I mean, I can understand like why you would consider that to be spiritual abuse because from what I'm understanding and what I'm hearing you say is that it caused damage to you personally. And furthermore, it can cause, and it has caused PTSD, which we know is caused by like um, repetitive trauma or, you know, even just one traumatic event, right? Or there can be repetitive trauma, which is a series of traumatic events, which actually can, um, Oh my God, I can't even think of the word, but it like rewires like the neurological pathway right. in your brain. And so that can result in a myriad of other problems and physical manifestations of the trauma that you experience. Right, right. And, 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 and again, it altered my, my faith and my perception. And regardless of where I landed on that, that is a life altering event for a person. When you grow up in a faith-based culture, to lose that, to lose the things that you believed in with your whole heart. I mean, it, it alters your brain forever. Like you said, it literally rewires our brain. Yeah. And did you feel like you lost your sense of self, your identity? Like oh, you, yeah. you went through a grieving period? Oh, I grieved for so long. I grieved for years and years. I think it was a good six. I had a really dark period for a good six years. I drank very heavily and I, that's what I used to cope. So I, I, I've, I've forgiven myself. I, I'm not beating myself up for that. But I, I was in a really dark place. I continuously contemplated suicide. And what actually got me sober, I, I don't drink anymore, was because I one night attempted. And so that's where that brought me. And that was almost six years after I had left. And I still was grieving that loss. Yeah, that sounds like really, really, really traumatic. And I'm glad you're still with us. Um, like, as somebody who has definitely had suicidal thoughts, 
Yeah, well, you yeah, know, I mean, like, I, I laugh at things. It goes with the territory. <laughs> it just comes with it, right? It's, we do have another listener who says there's definitely places that still do this, even in Canada where it is illegal. They operate as prayer groups. And I wanted to highlight that comment for just a minute because... Even when it's outlawed, doesn't mean that people will stop trying to implement those practices, right? Right. No. They what they do is they shut down, they they reopen under a different 501c3 and a different name. They'll move one town over. Sometimes they'll go on state lines and they'll they'll hop around on state lines and they'll they'll keep doing that, especially in areas that are tolerant, like mostly the you know southwest or like midwest we see a lot of that so no just because it's illegal does not mean that they're not still in operation and even if there aren't any in the state plenty of people send their kids and youth out of state and that's even more dangerous because then it's even harder for family or friends or supportive individuals to help don't some of them even send their children out of country too? Yes. Yes. There is, there was, there used to be a documentary on Netflix. I can't remember what it is, but it was about a, just such a home. Um, I want to say down in Mexico and it was, it was exactly that. It was uh, one of those teen homes where they send youth out of country same setup. You do Bible study in the morning. You do manual labor in the afternoon. You're on a, you know, you strict curfew, no dating. It's always the same format everywhere you go. And then, like, I have to wonder, like you mentioned earlier, how does this affect, like you were an adult, but how does this affect children? Well, we do know that LGBTQ youth who have gone through conversion therapy are twice as likely to attempt suicide as their other LGBTQ counterparts. And we know that queer kids are already more likely to have suicidal ideations or to attempt suicide. So then within that group, you have an even higher chance. So I mean, And it's not because, sorry, I'm, I'm yeah. butt in just for a second. And they're not attempting suicide because they're queer. They're not attempting suicide because they're LGBTQ. It's because no. of the lack of support and because of the fact that they have been trained to think that they are wrong. They are wrong for existing. They have been taught and indoctrinated to believe that they don't deserve basic human rights. That is why they feel a complete lack of worth. Yes. And they report that. Um, if you look at the Trevor Project, you can see their most recent studies every single year they produce a study. So their 2021 study is up. Their 2022 has not dropped yet. Um, but they, that the number one reason that youth attempt suicide is because of lack of family and social support. So it is not because of their identities or their orientations. It is because of how they're treated for that. Right. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to throw a curveball at you because I have a question unless James has something that he wants to ask. You're muted, my friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Mary. Go ahead. Okay. Well, so what would you say to parents of queer youth, LGBTQ youth, even intersex youth? Like, what would you say to the parents? Yeah. Um, 
I would say, first of all, just take a breath. Don't panic. Let's think this through, you know, because every parent's going to be different. Um, but there may be a lot of people that have ideas and conceptions about the LGBTQ community and there might, they might, their first reaction might be fear. Um, so what does it mean? Well, if we're, let's talk about attraction. If your child, if you think your child might be attracted to the same gender, what does that really mean? What do you think they're going to do? They're not going to do anything that's age inappropriate. That's where our biases come in. So if you think it's cute that a bo little boy and girl are holding hands on the playground, why isn't it cute for two little boys to hold hands on the playground? That's an age appropriate action. So think about it. Is your child having age appropriate attractions? Are you, you know, putting a shirt on your two-year-old that says ladies man? Well, you're already putting these ideas about romance and attraction on your child. So why would you be shocked when your child starts having their own ideas about romance and attraction? I mean, I know I was six years old the first time I had a crush. Her name was Stella. She had strawberry blonde hair and blue eyes. And I mean, I think anybody can remember their first crush. We have them. Everybody has them. Well, and, and children also have those crushes naturally. It's just a natural part of like as they grow and as they mature and as they learn new things, you know, that's that's very natural for them to have crushes, right? right. Like, Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, really I, good. I, I would say, Evan, you know, um, I, I've never had a problem being gay, but everyone around me had a problem with my being gay. And, you know, to, the, to this day, I've been out over 20 years living my best life. Meanwhile, there's an Amish man that's married with about 10 kids in, in rural Michigan that, you know, once upon a time was all up in this. <laughs> no comment no comment yeah. Yeah. so you know it's about living with authenticity and yes. being free to be, be who you are you know to love who you want to love um, ultimately he was controlled by the church but um, I managed to get away I'm glad you did yeah, yeah. He's the one me too yeah and, and another thing I want to point out, too, that I just had a moment, um, is that when it comes to, like, your children being gay, is like, just, or being queer, or being part of the LGBTQ community, just because your child expresses an attraction to the same gender or incongruence with their gender identity, doesn't mean that your child is a whole different person or that you should grieve the loss of your child. You still have your children. Celebrate them for who they are and celebrate the fact that they trust you enough to tell you how they're feeling and how they're experiencing life. If yeah. your child is able to come out to you, that means your child trusts you enough. You're safe enough for your child to be able to tell you that. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, do y'all have parting words like, if you could say anything to an LGBTQ person or a child that ex is experiencing spiritual abuse, what would you say? Mm, I guess I would say to um, make a plan to leave and leave with, you know, um, so that you, you're in a safe place. Um, and when you're in like me and Mary's situation, like from the Amish, 
it really is like an escape plan because you, you've got to have a whole network of people that you trust and that are going to deliver you into another environment. Um, and um, people, people that are not Amish um, find themselves in an environment where uh, it's not safe to come out, um, have probably a little more resources and it might be a little easier to find someone, but you still have to do the work and, and, um, I, my, my advice is to just leave um, w when it's safe to do so and make a plan. There's a lot of resources. Um, the Trevor Project is a really gorse. Um, and yeah, and also, Evan, you also do an organization, right? Right, yeah. We have the Vashti Initiative. You want to talk a little I bit mean, about that? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what our organization does right now is we offer a virtual support group twice a month um, with the second Wednesday and the fourth Sunday nights of the uh, evenings of the month. You can go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Oh, all right. Um, and so um, dashtinitiative.org um, is where you can go um, and you can see in our events calendar. Uh, we also have what is a culture club. Um, we're working on the name for that, but it's a sim essentially a way to help people assimilate to culture. So a lot of the things that people in high control groups miss out on, like music and movies and fashion are things that we're trying to tackle. Um, and then we do events. So Mary was recently on one of our events um, and uh, we and that when we were talking about child rights in adverse spiritual environments, we have another event coming up for those who come from non-traditional school backgrounds. Um, we've done workshops for careers, and we have other things that are coming up. We always do something at Pride Month too, so check us out there. It's but amazing. yes, um, our, our support group I would definitely plug. Yes, Mary. Don't you also have something on your website talking about like um, career services for people who don't know how to assimilate into, and the reason I bring that up is because many people who come from an Amish background may not have the ability to navigate building a resume or writing a cover letter or something like that. Right. Yes. We have what's called right now resource navigators. So we have two things. We're a volunteer run agency. So we're all volunteers doing it. Um, and so we, a resource navigator, we tried to pair them with a person who's recently coming out or are still struggling with an area. And so something like building a resume or help navigating a career is something that we could do. So we would pair you with one of our navigators. We're lo also looking for people who want to be navigators. So if you're further along in your journey and you wanted to volunteer, there's also that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes. And then do you have anything My you would words, say? Yes. Um, well, I think James really covered if you're currently in an environment, safety is always first. I would say if you've been out for a while and um, you're still grieving, number one, that's perfectly normal grief is going to happen. Even if we think the people we're grieving aren't worth our grief, that doesn't, that's not how it works. We have to grieve. Um, number two, it doesn't last forever. I, I, I always say it gets better, but it looks different. 
whatever expectation you have might not be what life looks like, but that doesn't mean that life isn't going to be wonderful. I didn't expect that I would be a dad one day. I thought the best I was going to get was maybe I'd find a partner who loved me and life is very different, but beyond what I ever hoped. I don't know that it will always be like that. And there were certainly many times along the way that it wasn't like that. I mean, that is life, it's ups and downs. But if you're healing, um, reach out, use those social supports. Remember, it doesn't last forever. And um, remember that you are worthy and deserving of love. Thank you. And thank you, James. Um, I just want to add my parting words to that too. I'd, I'd echo what Evan said. You are worthy. I mean, if you're listening to this and you're struggling, just know that like each moment, will pass it it will pass it'll sometimes life gives you curveballs and sometimes you're really thrown there's a lot of things thrown at you and it may feel like it's insurmountable but you know what i believe in you and obviously some of our patreon supporters also believe in us because they've been supporting this live stream and i want to thank them for that and with that being said y'all have a good one Know that you are worthy and you deserve to live your best life.